Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD sponsored by MarketSmith. Today is May 20, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and returning back to the show is Joe Fami. He is the Managing Director of Zor Capital. Thanks for being here, Joe. Thanks for having me, Arusha. It's great to see you. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current market. We will talk about the disconnect between the economy and the stock market, and then we will end the episode with three current stocks. So let's get into the current market. And right now, the market is in an uptrend. We had a pullback last week, uh, and that was a little bit scary, but it was, it was expected with the way the market has been running for the last six weeks. But it's amazing. We're higher uh, than last week, and we're actually near all-time highs. Joe, what are your thoughts on this market? Yeah, overall, I mean, I've been bullish since, uh, you know, those follow-through days in early April, both on the S&P and the NASDAQ. And uh, I'm just trying to follow the trend and stick to what the institutions are doing. I've been saying this on my blog for 10 years, which is um, pay attention to what the big institutions are doing, get a chart book, pay attention to price and volume. And there's just very little distribution on the NASDAQ composite. Even during that pullback that you referred to last week, we had right. one distribution day, but uh, overall, the institutions continue to accumulate shares on the up days. On the down days, are just which are expected in an uptrend. You're going to have a few down days. The volume's not too bad, and uh, the leaders are acting well. So overall, you know, why argue with it at this point? Yeah, and, and I, I think, and we'll get more into this in the second segment too, but uh, sometimes you, you just don't want to even think. You just you just want to do. You want to listen to the to the market and re and react and, and just kind of go with the go with the flow and and, and trust it because it, it's pretty amazing. So here here's the the fall today there, yeah. And a lot of times when you have such a severe sell off like we had, you're gonna have a couple of fall days that fail, and that was kind of the expectation at least for me. And yeah. but you don't want to necessarily assume they're gonna. 100% fail because sometimes they don't like this one and it, and it's done almost the impossible it's done the v-shape rally that everyone thought couldn't happen yeah i agree with you i actually was thinking it was going to fail because we're below the 200 day i have found follow through days above the 50 day above the 200 day or at least when we get close to it have been more effective so i was with you on that camp but what was interesting is 90% of what I use to judge the health of the market is the price action of the leaders. And when I ran through my screens and I, I just a light bulb went off and I just said, wow, here's another one. Here's another one. Software, semis, all these different leadership groups. They just kept showing up as, you know, near highs at highs. And that was a very powerful signal uh, that, you know, the follow through day had a little bit higher probability of working. Yeah, and, and th that's really one of the huge lessons. If you haven't capitalized on this market, and this has been a, a great, great market. It doesn't get really that much better than this for stocks. Uh, but And if you didn't uh, capitalize on it or if you completely missed it, um, really one of, one of the things that you want to do is uh, you, you want to uh, really let those leading stocks slowly pull you in. And just like Joe was talking about, one stock will break out maybe on that follow-through day, and then a few days later, another one might break out, and then a few days later, yeah. another one. And it's just going to slowly pull you in, and then before you know it, you're pretty invested in this market. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I know one of the things uh, William O'Neill talks about is if you if you do have a heavy cash position and you've been defensive during a correction, and then when you get the follow through day, one of the things he talks about is at least look at the new high list. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, take one or two positions and get you like you said, dip your toe in. Maybe take one or two positions, and even if they're light, the theory behind that is if they work, you at least you make some money gives you a little bit of confidence that the follow-through day is working. And as you said, more stocks will set up behind them. If they don't work, you have a light position, you stop yourself out, and at least the damage is minimal in case the follow-through day failed. But what happened was I, I had a pretty heavy cash position for my clients. I took a, a, some light positions. They started to work. We saw more accumulation come into the market, and then a whole bunch of stocks came through. And I think the lesson here is, you know, when people talk about timing the market, I kind of hate that expression because it makes you think like you have to get the dead low and the dead high. Right, We're just right. trying to get the bulk of the move because it's okay if you miss the snapback, but from April 6th into the middle of April, like you said, until up until now, it's been incredibly strong with all the stocks that continue to set up. Yeah, and, and a lot of times that first purchase is the hardest purchase, and it could be even the smallest purchase, but even if you missed out on the the downtrend and and it was a, a brutal downtrend over a, a few weeks even if you completely missed out on it like a lot of us did it's incredibly scary to get back into the market and so we'll use that fall through day and we had it on the nasdaq on april 6th we had it on the s p 500 on april 2nd yeah uh, we'll we'll use those signals and we'll we'll put a little bit of money at least to work if we're, in a stock that we're seeing is working uh and and a part of that is just to get ourselves our psychology back on the offensive because it's we're all really scared i mean i know i was scared and i'm always scared <laughs> when you're coming out of a correction trying to to buy it even though if i, I protected myself it's just very hard to switch that mental uh focus back to okay let's put money back to risk and so putting a, a small position or two and then getting the feedback from the market uh that that's incredibly important to switch your mindset and start getting the momentum working so you, you get more confidence to buy more stocks later on yeah that's such a great point because even it's it's great what you said even if you missed a lot of the damage when you get the follow-through day, the mindset ha mindset has to at least start to shift. Right. You have to at least start to think, you know, if you've been shorting or if you've been in cash, at least put some money to work. And it usually is at scary times, but that's why there are rules. And when you get the follow-through day and you get some decent basis to buy off if you put some money to work. Now, the mindset is tough because this is where recency bias affects us, where things have just getting so killed, you don't want to put money to work, but this is where you have to remember market cycles. Like Peter Lynch has said, I don't know, in the last hundred years, 30 something, 40 something bull markets, bear markets, whatever the numbers are, um, you know, in history, you just have to accept cycles. There's going to be corrections and accept that and get defensive, but don't think that this is going to go on forever, especially because everyone thinks 0809 was down 50%. So this has to be down 50%. And that's the part where you have to shift that mindset and say, you know what, we've, we've gotten through every other correction throughout history. And this is where that mindset uh, really has to shift. Yeah. And, and when you learn to protect, protect yourself during corrections, 
you will also learn to, or you need to learn that corrections really are opportunities. It's yeah. not necessarily you're buying during those corrections, but you're building your watch list, your your of stocks that are resisting the downtrend that are showing tremendous rel uh, relative strength. And when the when when the stocks uh, get ready to go back up again, uh, now you have that watch list. You're you're getting back on the offensive. And a lot of times those first few stocks that are those first batch of stocks, I won't say few, those first batch of stocks that break out, those are the next leaders of the, the next bull market. That's such a great point. The same things happen in every cycle. 08, 09, we came out of a brutal financial crisis, housing crisis, 18 month bear market. When the follow through days started to happen in March, the first two stocks that made new highs were Netflix and Green Mountain. Yes. Green Mountain went up, whatever, over 11, 1200%, eventually got bought out by I think a private equity firm. And then Netflix is still to this day making new highs. So that's your point that it's, it's such a great point with opportunity because as we come out of these uh, corrections, um, you really wanna pay attention to relative strength. In other words, if the market just dropped 32% on the S&P in pretty much a month and 42 on the Russell, and you have a stock sitting near highs, I think it's pretty safe to say if the market didn't bring that down, then nothing's going to bring it down. <laughs> you know, true. so that's, I mean, the institutions, they might be dumping other shares, but they're not dumping the stocks that they really believe in longer term and understand the stories. And, uh, th and there you go. There's, there's the Netflix high right around March, April of 09. And uh, the rest is history. So. Yeah, I mean, let's see that that high around, or I'll, I'll move it over to like Mo I'll be moved to March of two thousand nine, <laughs> high of six dollars and thirty five cents. Right now, it's split adjusted, but uh, now it's four hundred and forty seven dollars. Uh, now it's not. We're not saying that you ride through the whole thing, but there are tremendous opportunities for those that are right near uh, new highs, and so that cor the corrections truly are opportunities. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. oh, go ahead, Joe. No, I was going to say, that's a good point about everyone has different time frames. So I don't care if you day trade, swing trade for a few days, few weeks, few months, or a longer term holder. It doesn't matter what your time frame is. At least you are starting with a great stock to at least put a high probability of being, you know, of success because of the technical characteristics. Yeah. And then what's the worst going to happen, right? If it breaks out and fails, you know, for the most part, it's going to be seven, eight percent. You're cutting at some yeah. kind of loss. And you know, once in a while, maybe they gap down and, and you take a bigger hit. But for the most part, m most of my losses are probably around four to five percent. And and so that kind of gets away from that fear factor, too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Joe, uh, now one thing that you mentioned on, on Twitter and also uh, on your uh, on your site uh, is uh, one of the concerns that you had recently with this rally, because it has been such a strong rally and it's been in the back of my head. Like, okay, when's that first big test coming? Uh, the sentiment indicators, right? Uh, yeah. So, so some of the, the sentiment indicators on the, what, what was the put call ratios are starting to get to pretty, uh, pretty much complacent levels. Yeah, sentiment is such a hard thing to gauge because there's so many different measures and readings. So I try to look at all of them together. Uh, for the most part, up until recently, yes, there's a lot of people buying uh, calls and so forth. Um, but up until recently, a very powerful one is that AAII, where we've seen since 1987, it's happened 54 times that we've seen a 10% or greater rally in seven weeks in the market. And this is the first time that this has happened. 
and the AII has been over 50% bearish. So oh, that's, wow. that's never happened in history. It's actually happened over 40% twice, and that was December of 90, which is when we were coming out of the Gulf War and the 9091 bear market, and yeah. then April of 09, where, again, the stat is 54 times since 1987, we've had a 10% or greater rally, which happened from March of 09 bottom to April of 09. And late April of 09, over 40% were still bearish. So this is unprecedented that it's over 50% bearish. So as an overall backdrop, of course, we're going to see some pullbacks and some shakeouts along the way. But that is a very powerful stat. Combine that with $5 trillion in uh, money market funds, which is a lot of public money, uh, that just tells you how scared and underinvested people are. Yeah, and, and so that's the proverbial wall of worry that the market loves to to climb, and that's exactly what you're seeing here. I mean, yeah. if you're if you're, and we'll and maybe we'll we'll say that for the second segment. Yeah. But it, it, it this is just a fascinating uh, few months that we've seen because it really is unprecedented uh, for just throughout at least the last hundred years. Uh, now we have the pandemic flu, but in the early 1900s, but just the way it fell apart, and there's still we don't know for sure, you know, how, how long it's going to take for a vaccine and all this stuff for the yeah. market to just keep going up like this. Uh, it, it's, it's just that wall of worry. And if you're letting news uh, tell you what to do, you, you're, you're going to be uh, pretty frustrated. Yeah. I, to answer your question on the put to call ratio, I like to watch the equity only put to call ratio because the index tends to be a lot of hedging with people with big portfolios, but the equity only tends to be people buying directional puts. So Along the way up, I've noticed recently there has been a lot of uh, call buying. I, maybe it's because everyone's at home and people are opening online brokerage accounts yeah. and so forth. So that could be a shorter term signal for a little pullback. However, I've noticed that people buying calls can go on for a while, but when mm. they really spike into the puts, that's usually around a day or two of a low. So oh, yeah, and that, yeah and, and that makes sense because everyone, everyone gets scared essentially near the same time yes. when you start seeing everything falling apart. You just have emotions. to wait for it. You just have yes. to wait for it. For example, yeah, so in October of 2018, we had that correction in the fall mm -hmm. and there was put buying, put buying, but it really didn't spike until December 21st, 22nd, which was a day or two off of the low. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. absolutely perfect. like a high, high reading. So the higher readings on the, on the put side are more effective than the call reading. But overall, I try to get a whole basket of them. CNN Fear Greed and Investors mm -hmm. Intelligence and NAAIM, Active Investment Managers. And it's really muted. And that's the whole point is we've had this great rally and people are still scared. So my feeling is you're going to get pullbacks. I just can't see something really sustained when everyone is hedged and prepared for it. True. So the market is in an uptrend and we potentially could be starting a new bull market. Who knows? Maybe we're in it right now. It's short feels like we are in a new bull market, but make sure you remain disciplined because a lot of stocks are extended at this point. Let's take a quick break, but when we return, we are going to talk about the disconnect between the news, the economy, and this stock market, this V-shaped rally, and how can this market keep going up with all this bad news around? So we'll talk about this and even more. We'll be back.
I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all of these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot List, right, which is very popular. It's gonna show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Joe Fami is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by Market Smith. Okay, Joe. There's so much bad news around. Uh, how can the NASDAQ be right near all-time highs? Yeah, that's probably the number one question on everyone's mind. I get emails about it. I get everyone asking me, clients, everyone, this doesn't make sense. The economy's so bad. Why is the market recovering? And my first answer, as simple as it sounds, is when does the market ever make sense? That's I mean, true. if it was, it, it, it's not designed for it to be so easy and just hand money away. So understand that the market is a very challenging beast and it doesn't always make sense. But the real answer I think of is it's a discounting mechanism. And a lot of people fail to understand that the market trades on what's going to happen six to nine months from now. And yes, it tends to rebound while unemployment's still high and while all the eco economic numbers are still high. Same thing happened in 08, 09. And it tends to forecast better things ahead. And I think the number one question people have to ask themselves who are confused is, are we eventually going to get out of this? And I think if you have any sort of sanity and your, <laughs> your answer is going to be yes. I mean, like we will eventually get out of this. Now, right. the second part of that question is when do we get back to 70, 80% normal? Is it three to six months from now or a year or two from now or longer? That's the hard part that nobody knows the answer to, but it could be the market telling us that things will get back to somewhat normal six months from now or sooner than most people expect. Yeah, and, and the beauty is, is that if you're following the action of the market, you're following the price and volume action, and you have a good set of rules to follow these trending markets, you don't need to worry about that stuff. You, you, yeah. I mean, you, you want to be aware of it, and, and you want to do reading on it so, so you know what's going on, but you don't need to necessarily try to figure it out. And that no one's not one not one person's going to figure out the true answer to that. That that's the beauty of yeah. the whole market. It's collecting everyone's buying and selling decisions. And right now, a lot of people apparently have have placed some good bets on the, this market, this economy, this world pulling out of of the pandemic that we're in right now. Yeah, I mean, we've got through everything else in wars and other pandemics and other viruses and uh, you know economic crisis. The list is endless natural disasters. We've got through everything. So 
we're going to get through this. And as they say, it doesn't make sense to bet on the end of the world because even if you're right, no one's around to pay you off. So. <laughs> That's true. That's right. I never, I never thought about it like that. But uh, yeah. I mean, who are you going to really collect from at that I know. point? I know. Your puts will be great, but you'll, have, you know, you'll be the only one left. Um, so, you know, so, Joe. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, Joe, let, let's let's get into one of the one of the industries, one of the sectors that's been doing insanely well and, and not shockingly, the biotech industry. Now, these yeah. are stocks that have come up on your screens left and right. Uh, and, and, and you've talked about it on Twitter. You've talked about it on your, your site. Uh, and uh, th- these, are, these are stocks that you're focusing on right now. Now, for me personally, I- I've always had, kind of had a bias against biotechs because I'm a little scared that they're going to just gap down on me because of some FDA news yeah. and, and things like that. But that, that's a weakness of mine, and that's something that, you know, after watching some of your videos and things like that, <laughs> now I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to correct that weakness. Talk talk what's going on about in the biotech industry. Well, to finish that last segment because it ties into biotech. Besides the market being a discounting mechanism, if you didn't know the news and just looked at charts, you you'd probably be loaded up in the markets right now, or at least you have been yes. for the last month. Yep. And the reason is because the big institutions control the markets. Besides the fall through days, when I talk about I run my screens on MarketSmith. My go-to screen has 150 stocks on the first screen. 75 of them are biotech. Part of the reason I screen is to look for themes and leadership sectors. And when I see software, medical products, semiconductors, some FANG stocks doing well, and biotech, when there's 75% of my screens are biotech, I can't ignore that, that, that stat because I'm screening to find um, themes. Now, you pulled up the IBB. The first thing I'll say is that the IBB and the XBI are two of the main ETFs, and they are coming out of five-year bases. And as we know, they had a huge run, 2013 up until 15, 16. I think they corrected when that whole uh, presidential election and, you know, the tweets about drug pricing and so forth. Yeah, but yeah. It's, but again, after huge, huge moves, and I mean, this was an incredible leadership sector, huge, huge move. You got to digest that gain. We have been digesting. And when I talked about after the follow-through day, some of the first stocks on my screens that were at new highs on April 6th were biotech stocks. So from a technical point of view, that looks great. Um, my other theory with biotech is six of the, of the top 10 performing hedge funds in the past decade are biotech-related funds. So wow. you can't ignore the performance from there. The other thing is healthcare is 18% of GDP. So while all the younger generation is spending their time you know, on TikTok and becoming Instagram models, the older generation is spending their money on healthcare. And I can't think of anything why we would need biotech even more. We're all stuck at home. Everyone is shoveling food in their face and is going to get heart disease or diabetes. Everyone's drinking and going to have liver damage. I mean, all this is even more of a case for biotech. But, but on a serious note, I mean, as, the, as people are living longer, you are going to need, um, you know, the spend on healthcare. But I, I just, um, you know, to your point about being scared, it's a common thing. It's not scared, it's just worried about a 50% gap down. You have to differentiate between the small cap, one hit wonders that might have one drug in their pipeline and the bigger pharma that have plenty of earnings and sales on the line. Uh, you know, your Vertex, Seattle Genetics, you know, some of those stocks that made yep. new highs on April 6th, the day of the follow through day, you know, something like Vertex, this isn't a company with a phase two drug that's going to fail. You know, this is a company with, you know, whatever, 4 billion in sales, 5 billion in sales in the last year. 
and earning, I mean, the numbers are just insane. So um, I like to look at it as this way. If you're not comfortable with biotech, as always, do what works for you. There's nothing wrong with passing. I can't ignore it because there's so many stocks on my screens looking good. So you can go with the uh, ETF, you can go with some of the bigger names, or you can just take a smaller position because even if you took a 1% position in something, God forbid, like you said, gaps down 50%, if it hits you 50 basis points on your account, it's not going to ruin you. Right. Um, and guess what? You actually might make money too if it goes up. So that's a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and also, so, so you have this, uh, obviously biotech is well positioned for what's going on with the world right yeah. now, but it, it almost seems like there's a, there, there's convergence of, of a number of larger trends uh, all meaning together and biotech is right in the, in between you have, you have technology coming in, not only with devices for technology, uh, where people can monitor their blood sugar and things like that. We yeah. talked, we've spoken about Dexcom and Insulate, uh, yeah. before the, the, those, those stocks are, have done really, really well. Uh, but you also have all this data starting to be collected. They're using artificial intelligence to try to figure out yeah. uh, the cure or, or vaccine for the coronavirus. That they're, they're doing machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, and so it, it's, it's pretty remarkable that you, you're seeing all of these things converge. And you could see an acceleration in a number of these industries. I think the industry is just getting started. I mean, like something like gene therapy, when you have Roche and Novartis paying five to nine billion on some takeover candidates. These are huge uh, companies that spent a lot of money. So gene therapy is another one. You make a great point about technology is converging, something like a GH, Garden Health, where yes. they're taking a blood sample to, you know, instead of taking a biopsy uh, for cancer levels. And the people behind this company, like you said, it's not just PhDs in science, it's also in mathematics, big data, and semiconductors. They understand that now you can do a lot more with technology. So I think that this sector, you know, I try to do everything I can in my power to help my probabilities of finding uh, a, a strong couple of names in biotech. And that doesn't mean you're always gonna get it right, but if you use the technicals as one, if you do have some fundamentals, that's great. If you dig into the story, if you follow some of the huge funds that have been incredibly successful, if you follow unusual option activity, and just understand to your point that this is the future and biotech is really revolutionizing things and it's just coming out of a five-year base, I think this is still in its early stages as, as to what's going to go on with not just viruses, but so many diseases. Yeah. Now, before you brought up Garden Health here. Now, this is this is a, a potentially a huge story with what they're trying to do. So instead of taking a, a biopsy on tissue where you have to cut out a cancerous, uh, what they think could be a, a cancerous uh, cell or whatever, uh, here you can take a blood sample and it's looking for like fragments of DNA that the, the cancer leaves. And so not only is it a lot less invasive, uh, it's a lot, uh, it's a lot uh, less uh, pricey for everybody, yes. right? Uh, and, and so naturally that could mean that a lot more people are willing to use it. And now you can move more towards the prevention because as we know, the earlier you catch a lot of these cancers, the better chance of your survival. Uh, and, and so this, if, if they're able to pull something like this off, this is a huge, huge story and, and a potentially huge idea because all of a sudden this could be just part of the annual exams or whatever. Yeah, I think the founders uh, started a company and sold to Illumina, started this one, brilliant founders. And also, 
to your point about not only with the biopsy, but then a lot of chemotherapies are ineffective. So they're using big data and data analytics to make sure to pinpoint a lot of the chemotherapies to, uh, you know, make them effective. So again, I'm not a scientist. I'm just basically agreeing with you in the sense of the technologies that they are using, where it's a convergence of big data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all those buzzwords in biotech. This is where I think you know, for me, I can't ignore when I see, again, 75 of the first 150 on my screens are biotech. I, I, I just have to, I just have to get involved. And if you're not comfortable, then, you know, a, a good way to play that. So you have to, to reduce single stock risk is with an ETF. Yeah. And, and well, Joe, years ago, you, you were smart enough not to be a a bio major at Tufts University, like I, <laughs> like I was, <laughs> because that that was not that was not easy, and uh, I don't remember any of it uh, right now. But yeah. uh, but it, it it is pretty cool to see a lot of this stuff just getting more advanced, and the precision medicine that that's starting to come about, where you could have uh, you could have therapies just uh, completely catered towards your body. And what's going on in your body? I mean, that's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. But that's maybe 10, 15, who knows, 20 years away from now. Uh, Very, very personalized medicine. Uh, Maybe in almost the same way as the web is right now, where all the content is is catered towards what your interests, as opposed to 20 plus years ago when you just go to Yahoo or whatever, and you you read whatever Yahoo uh, thought was the, the news of the day at that point. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to your original question on the disconnect, when I'm seeing so many strong stocks and just a lot of great institutional accumulation, this is where I have to do my best to separate and shut off the news and pay more attention to price action because, you know, it's not just biotech, but there's just so many great sectors that are, I mean, look, bottom line is it's common sense. Unfortunately, there are industries and companies that are being affected by all this and your cruise ships and your airlines and restaurants. And we all know those sectors sectors that are unfortunately getting hurt. And on the flip side, there are other sectors that business as usual, and in fact are even benefiting more, whether it's your software biotechs, and that's the sectors that I'm focusing on. Yeah. And, and once again, you know, the, the biggest thing listening to the market, it's always going to to lead you in the right direction. So remember, the market is always right. It does not matter how bad the news is. Uh, you want to follow the trends. When the market is saying to start putting some of that money to work, listen to it, put a little bit, and see what happens. And then, of course, you always want to manage your risk. So coming say, up next, I was going to say, I always say two things. I never argue with the stock market and women because they're both smarter than me and they're both always right. So don't forget that. Coming up next, we will discuss a few more ideas with Joe. Stay tuned. I'm here with Scott St. Clair, and Scott is one of the senior product coaches at Margaret Smith. Now, Scott, we've both been doing this for a long time, and we know that investment research takes a lot of time. There's so many factors that you want to look into to try to figure out whether this is a stock to buy or not. Quarterly earnings huge sales growth. Hey, are institutions buying it? The list goes on and on. Yeah, it's a common question. I hear it all the time. I don't have time to to do this work. So you don't have to spend that much time. If you have a tool like Marcus Smith, we do a lot of that work for you. Right there on the chart, earnings, sales, group strength, institutional sponsorship, like you just mentioned. 
it's all there in the chart. So it allows you to make a decision much easier. Yeah, and the beauty is that we have in-house analysts that go through the SEC filings, they pull out those numbers, and they put it right on the markets make chart, and all you have to do is analyze them. Yeah, I couldn't imagine having to go to the SEC website and look at the income statement, et cetera. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, and, and, and that would take hours and hours, and in that time, you can go through hundreds of stocks and find the best ones. So don't miss out on a big winner because you don't have enough time to research it. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. We are back with Joe Fami on investing with IBD sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Joe, let's get into a few ideas. And the first idea that we have on a list, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if a lot of people are, are going to be aware of, <laughs> but uh, hopefully they're, they're using it left and right in this pandemic. It's Amazon. And let me pull up the chart. Here, here's a weekly chart of Amazon. And what do you like about these guys? I mean, I, I know it's not necessarily buyable here. I think it was, but what I do like about this is it's coming out of a big, you know, two, three year base. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, an interesting thing with a lot of, I mean, this is just unbelievable institutional support. When you look at the weekly chart, all those tight closes around 1750, 1800, um, showing great, great institutional support. Longer term, I think if you hold this, stick with it, use the 10 week as your guide, uh, you know, shorter term, I wouldn't chase it here, but maybe wait for a pullback to the 20 day or in the next pullback uh, as an opportunity to scale in. Um, what I do like is that even though some money managers who I highly respect, for example, David Tepper, Stanley Druckenmiller, they gave cautious comments on the markets recently, they both specifically mentioned Amazon as one of the positions they love. Going back to what I said about, you know, they were already a great business and they're benefiting even more, you know, unfortunately, but they're benefiting even yeah. more from uh, what's going on. So you have a lot of even value managers, Jeremy Grantham and Bill Miller, when value managers have been in this for a while are finding value in Amazon and growth managers, I think that's a very powerful story. Yeah, and that's almost the perfect storm with like Apple's kind of like that a number of years ago where you could find reasons to be, if you're a growth fund manager to have Apple and then now value value funds were starting to buy it a little while back too. Uh, yeah, so a Amazon, Amazon's almost, you, know, you, you thought that they were already in the perfect place, at the in the right place at the right time, but it's kind of even more right because uh, obviously, we're all so dependent on it. Thank God for an Amazon, first of all, because yeah. I don't know where I'd get anything these days. I think I think what what I forget the exact stat, but eighteen percent of e of shopping is e commerce, and now it's moved to twenty five, and just recently. So right. obviously, Amazon is such a huge beneficiary. And again, I apologize if I forget the exact stats, but the point is, e commerce spending is going to obviously increase and Amazon's a huge beneficiary of that. Yeah. yeah and I, I saw a stat like that. I probably a very similar one, but it, it first, the, the couple of things came to mind first, it, it was pretty amazing that it was still so low. Uh, I, because pretty much everything I buy these days is, is e-commerce. Right. Uh, but it, that was just really eye opening. And then the second was that acceleration over the last couple of months where you, you saw that really big jump, uh, now, the, the other question I ask is like, how many of those people are now going to start to turn to Amazon Prime members? And because, you know, once, once, you, once Amazon gets you in that Prime yeah. membership, they, they have you for life right there. 
Yeah, that's a huge, uh, a huge point. And also we can't forget about AWS is really the powerhouse Amazon Web Services as more people working from home, which is why internet security and software and all these names are, everyone's beefing up their networks and security and so forth uh, as more businesses are gonna be working from home and shifting to that. And Amazon Web Services is also a huge, uh, it's gonna benefit from that as well. Yeah, so the next stock uh, that we have on the list is NVIDIA, and that's ticker symbol NVDA. And, and this is another company that, uh, I'll, I'll go to the monthly chart first uh, for, for this company, but th th this is one that in 2016 had this amazing, amazing run. Yeah. Uh, and it was the stock to own in 2016 and, and a bunch of 2017. Uh, then it had like a 50% correction, like all great stocks will, they're gonna take some time off. And now it's back into all time highs. And it seems like it, it's really now starting to assume that leadership position in the semiconductor industry, at least for large cap. I know Infi has been doing uh, pretty well uh, too, yeah. but it's always kind of debate AMD, NVIDIA. Right now it looks like it's NVIDIA's turn to, to carry that uh, flag for the semiconductors. Yeah, I mean, they're both great companies. I like to pick best of breed, in my opinion. I, it's one of the top three positions I hold for clients. Um, you know, excuse me, we bought it, uh, you know, whatever, uh, 280, something like that, and sticking with it. Of course, I, it's a little bit stretched here, similar with Amazon, right. but longer term, maybe wait for it to come in. And I know they have earnings coming up, but longer term, I believe that this is so many verticals in gaming and AI and machine learning. I mean, they are basically dominating uh, with driverless cars as more and more cars are going to shift to the Tesla model, not just driverless cars, but having that monitor and that screen there that's powered by, I mean, NVIDIA is the true leader in a lot of the future as we are moving from CPU to GPU, meaning graphical, uh, you know, users, uh, graphical, everything is graphics these days. So you need that processing power and NVIDIA is in so many verticals. They just purchased Mellanox. I think they bought them cheap compared to their peers. So that gives them a huge advantage in data centers which continues to uh, do well. So I love the story. I love it longer term. And obviously, you know, again, like I said with Amazon, if you're in from an earlier level, I would stick with it. Uh, and if not, just maybe wait for a pullback as an opportunity to scale in. Yeah, and, and like Joe, I, I do own both Amazon and NVIDIA in my accounts. Um, and Joe, yeah, this, this stock right now, it is 30% it is from the, the, the couple of the handle that pattern recognition. Uh, picked up here they yeah. do have earnings tomorrow yeah. and and so that's that's going to be you know it's going to be interesting to see i i know me personally i'm going to hold i'm going to hold pretty much all my shares into earnings yeah no same here same here if it pulls back i mean I, i'm not i'm not being complacent i'm just saying when you have a good cushion if you bought it properly to 70 280 i even tweeted out right below 300 you know that jesse livermore rule when they breaks round numbers you get a quick 10 yes. percent I mean, if, you, if you're up 20% on it, this is where everyone needs to know their own time frame. I like this longer term, so I'm sticking with it. But if you told me you could buy it as a run into the earnings and make 20%, you could also take some profits. But everyone can make their own decisions. But uh, I, I just think that powerful move is similar with Amazon, a couple others, Netflix and so forth, coming out of these two, three-year bases, they could just be getting started if this is, in fact, a new bull market. 
Yeah, and, and well, the, fir the first question, uh, and, and a lot of people I'm sure ask you this, and they definitely ask us uh, over here too, uh, how do you handle earnings? What, 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 how, how do you handle earnings? You know, the two biggest questions I get is it's just, is, yeah, do you hold over earnings? And, you know, with biotech and all this stuff, these questions are all centered around fear, um, where no one wants to lose money. I get it. You don't want it to gap down. You don't want a biotech to gap down. I, I, it's such a difficult question to answer. My whole thing is, 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 is keep us position smaller if you're that worried about it. Meaning you don't have to have a monster position because you need to build confidence. If you are, if you do believe in some of these big winners and you want to take them for more than a 10 or 20% gain, gain by definition, you have to hold it for a few quarters right. by definition. So that means you're going to hold over earnings. So you just have to realize there's a big difference between holding, you know, a, a highly volatile stock over earning or, or maybe more conservative name. I think they're pricing in a six or 7% move. But let's say you price in a 10% move, reduce your position size to the point where if it does drop 10%, it's not going to ruin your portfolio. And I think the way to handle that is to min keep, I, I, have not, I, I hold a lot of things over earnings. Mm -hmm. I just make sure to keep a position that let's say it's pricing in a 20% move and I have a 2% position. If it, if it has that worst case scenario of dropping down 20%, 40 basis points is not going to ruin my portfolio. Yeah, and, and that's generally what I assume. I assume a twenty percent gap down uh, yeah. on it, and then I'll, I'll adjust to see which what which ones where it won't kill me. At you that could point. also get it. You could also get a gap up. I mean, everyone's yeah. like, "Oh, I don't hold the earnings because they all blow up." Look at Twilio. Look at Fastly. These move fifty percent off of earnings. So right. this fear. Then we talked about this in the last podcast. This is where the mental toughness of you got to stop living in fear. I mean, you know, I'm. I mean, I'm not saying to be reckless. I'm just saying, especially if you have a cushion. And you like a longer-term story, and there's great longer-term option activity in some of these names. I just say, you know, reduce it to a sleep at night position. To your point, if it gaps down twenty percent, you can live. Because guess what? It also might gap up, and you might make some money. It's true. And now another another thing that you mentioned with all these larger cap tech stocks emerging out of these large bases, multi-year bases. Now, one of the questions I can already hear people asking uh, is. How much further can some of these stocks run? You know, Amazon's at 2,000 right now. You know, I mean, how much further can Nvidia run and all these kind of stocks run? Uh, what, what are your thoughts? This is almost this is almost another disconnect that uh, concept yeah. that we were talking about earlier. I mean, one lesson I've learned in the markets is just when you think a stock or a market can't go higher, it usually does, and just when you think it can't go lower, it usually does. I think of some big winners, Home Depot and Walmart, were big winners in the O'Neill books from the 80s and yeah. 90s. Yep. And they are still making new highs because my answer to that is we are no longer a, an economy that's only based on the U.S. You know, when you take examples of, you know, the Walmarts or McDonald's or some of these big winners where they start with, you know, Home Depot, a few stores, build it to more stores, expand to more, expand mm -hmm. globally with a lot of these companies. We're just not, we're, you know, we, we, third world countries are no longer third world countries. These are, we're in a global economy and there is much, much room for these to grow. So let's go to the third idea. And this is a, ticker symbol AYX Alterix. Yep. And these guys are uh, an, another company that helps manage big data. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the, the bigger name that probably most people are familiar with is Splunk. Uh, but 
you know, AYX has, has been doing quite well and kind of sneaking under the radar. What do you like about these guys? Yeah, same thing. Big data, uh, artificial intelligence, great subscription model that they have. There's some sharp funds behind this. Um, I think it's coming out of this sort of big double bottom on the weekly. It's made a great move. And like we said, after big moves, they consolidate. They have some new products rolling out in uh, June uh, with data warehouses and also with big data and so forth. So I, I like there's longer term option activity. And also they guided lower in their most recent earnings. And trading at, at this time sales, I did have a position and I said, oh, shoot, this thing might gap down more than 10%. The fact that it barely gapped down and was gobbled up in two days, that tells me, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's not the news. It's the market's reaction to the news that matters. You've seen companies blow out their earnings and you're like, why is it down? This one guided lower because of the COVID situation and so forth. And it was gobbled up telling me institutions, especially some sharp ones that own this, really understand the longer term story behind this. Of course, it's rich in valuation, but PE has never been an issue for me because as if you study the biggest winners throughout history, uh, they tend to trade at much higher valuations because you get what you pay for. Yeah, and, and you mentioned with the earnings reactions. Uh, is this the, the, the most forgiving earnings season you've ever seen? It's, it's been forgiving, not just with earnings, but uh, I've seen some gap downs on just regular news. I've also been stopped out of a few things that literally turn on a dime and are at new highs. So <laughs> that's more of a sign of, of a strong market when it's forgiving because it can forgive your mistakes. It can forgive, you can get a little bit sloppy with your entries, not encouraging that, but you know, just have to keep that in mind. When it's a good market, the market forgives some of your mistakes. When it's not, look out because it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to get chopped up. So um, I, I, I agree though. Some, some companies have, haven't had great earnings, but people just don't care and they, they just go higher anyways. Cause you know, one huge factor that we're leaving out of all this is of course the fed, the liquidity behind the fed is also helping a lot yes. of the situation. I'm not going to ignore that. I'm not going to argue it. I'm just going to say, Hey, it, take advantage of it while it's here. Now, uh, Joe, you, you've, you've spoken about a lot of concepts here. Uh, now, a lot of people can learn about uh, your, your stuff on Twitter, but you just added a new addition to, to your website, right? Yeah, no, thank you. I, I started a new educational product because I truly believe, and I have the book here, you know, How to Make Money in Stocks. I think this is one of the best books in, in investing. I'm not just saying that because I'm working, you know, talking to someone from IBD, but uh, the only problem with the book, I shouldn't say problem, one concern is that there is so much information. I think you can agree, you read it once, it's a lot to comprehend. So I started a new educational product where my purpose is to go through not only a lot of the concepts in the books, and we talk about follow through days and all these setups and technicals and fundamentals, go through a lot of the concepts from the book, stuff I've learned on my own, stuff from Jesse Livermore, and not only teach that, but apply it as best as I can to the current market. And it's on my website, joefami.com. I've been very grateful, got some great feedback and it, I think it really helps with the learning curve from 21 years of doing this to really help people uh, learn a lot of the concepts. No, it, it, it's good stuff there, and I highly recommend everyone go and check it out. All right. No, thank you. Thank you. It's uh, something I'm proud of, and I'm enjoying uh, breaking down and an analyzing the markets. Excellent. So there are a few ideas that are worth considering and adding to your watch list. Thanks, Joe, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Arusha. Always a, always a pleasure. Next week, we are going to have two of the leaders from O'Shares ETF Investments on the show. 
We are going to have Connor O'Brien, who is the CEO and president of O'Shares ETFs. And we are also going to have their chairman, Kevin O'Leary. Yes, uh, that Kevin O'Leary, the Shark Tank Kevin O'Leary, is going to be uh, coming on the show. He's also known as Mr. Wonderful. So we're going to talk about some of the larger internet trends that they're seeing. And they've developed a, a really great ETF. Uh, the ticker symbol is OGIG. That is capturing uh, some of these trends and it's doing quite well this uh, year. So it should be a ton of fun. And so that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Paris, and thanks for listening. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.